Well, good morning, folks. Hey, isn't this like the best Sunday of all? Easter Sunday morning, what a time to celebrate. This is the day. This is the day. I've titled this message, We Have Seen the Lord. It's based on the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And with all humility, of course, I am telling you right now, this is the most important sermon of the year. (laughs) And I have scripture authority to say it, because in the next slide it says, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and this is what he says. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, then he was seen by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. That's the Apostle Paul writing a few short years after the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. He was not one that had seen the Lord during those 40 days after he rose and before he went back to heaven, but he shows us in this scripture that it is documented The Lord Jesus was seen by more than 500 of his followers. Just at one time, he was also seen individually and by different groups. So that, and most of them, as Paul is writing this public document, as he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, he's saying most of those that have seen him are still alive. So we have eyewitnesses that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What he says here is, this is what was most important. And goes through then these basic principles. Christ died for our sins, as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Those That, brothers and sisters, is the core of what we believe as Christians. He died for our sins. He really died. He really entered death because that was what was required in order for our sins to be atoned for. There had to be blood shed. The Lord Jesus had to die. But he did. He died... He was buried, and then what we celebrate today, he rose again. You and I are now going to go to a passage that actually spells out what happened, and we're going to look at some characters that were involved in this story. I'm going to first of all do some character introductions so that you can pick them out in the story as we read it together. So the first one I'll tell you about is a lady named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene 
and in her first encounter with Jesus, Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. So Mary Magdalene had had a difficult life. She was a woman who had been very broken by the effects of Satan in her life. And Jesus had come along and he had set her free. She traveled with Jesus, with his 12 disciples and some, of the, um, some other women. She also is the first to meet the risen Christ. And I would suggest to you, she is the first Christian. Because if you define who a Christian is as somebody who has had an encounter with the risen Christ, has trusted the living, resurrected Christ, then guess who was the first one? It was Mary. What's also fascinating is Mary was chosen as part of the gospel story to be the first witness of the resurrection. Now back in first century, with all due respect to the ladies in this crowd, you would never, if you were making something up, you would never have selected a woman to be your first witness. Because they had no legal standing at that time. It would not have been something that would have stood up in any court setting or in any official setting. But this is God's story. This is not a human story. And God chose Mary to be the first witness. So, that's Mary Magdalene, character number one in the story we're going to be looking at today. Character number two is Simon Peter. Simon Peter is a fisherman from Galilee. Humble guy, basic living. He was married. He cursed on occasion. He was impulsive. He was bold. He was self-confident. He was decent with a sword, not so good as an athlete. He preferred to walk rather than run. He could take correction, as he often had to, being impulsive. And as it turned out, he was an excellent communicator. That was Simon Peter. We have John, the brother of James, one of the sons of Zebedee. And John was one of the sons of thunder. I would suggest that probably meant he was pretty hot-headed. In fact, there's a time when, in his passion for Jesus, he wants fire to be called down from heaven and burn up the enemies. That's John. He referred to himself, though, as not by name. In his writings, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that is really sweet. He had taken his relationship with Jesus to a very personal level and referred to himself that way. A way in which each of us that knows Jesus as Savior, we can refer to ourselves as the same way, the same way. We are that disciple whom Jesus loved. We can look down at good luck sitting right here in the front row and he can say, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Why? Because he knows it. Jesus loves him. We've each got that, but John had it, and he documented that in his books. He wrote the Gospel of John and three other short books in the Bible. That's John. And finally, we have in our story, we have Thomas. Thomas is a twin. 
he is known for doubting. Right here in our chapter, the chapter we're going to read. Thomas was also good at asking good questions. And he was a bit of a pessimist. Maybe even a fatalist. So those are the four characters. Now, in the story that we're going to look at today, I want us in our thoughts to add our own story into these stories. We've heard stories already downstairs this morning for many of us. We heard testimonies of different folks and how God was at work in them. Each of us here in this room has a story. And that story is different. No two stories are the same. But we can, with our own character, we can project ourselves into this story. I will not share it here, but I had some fun in preparing this message in my own thoughts, putting some of you into the story. <laughs> you see, I know a lot of your personalities. And so it was fun to kind of imagine where, you know, just, I, I, maybe I shouldn't pick on any of you, but there's some of you that I really did. Like, I put you right in there and thought about you and how that might be. But let's you do that for yourself. I have done it for me. And uh, let's see how this works out. So we're going to go now to John 20 and start at verse 1. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 1. If some of you have pew Bibles and you're following along, it, if you've got the same one I've got, then it is on page 768. Early on Sunday morning, John 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Jesus had been crucified Friday, two days earlier. Jesus had been in the grave all day on the Sabbath or Saturday. Now it was very early Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. I was going to ask Louis, what came, is it a, I remember in school learning about active verbs and inactive verbs. And I was wondering about the word came, because it doesn't have a lot of energy in it. Back in Luke, it says that the women went to the sepulcher with spices that they had prepared. What I see in this is doing something out of duty. Doing something out of a response, something that needs to be done. But there's not a lot of energy. There's not a lot of action portrayed when you use words like they went or they came. It's, it's just kind of, it's happening. But look at what will happen as they find, Mary comes and finds that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance. Notice the difference in energy. 
goes from came to the tomb to ran and found Simon Peter. I love the, what you will see here is the change that happens. And this, brothers and sisters, those of us that know and love Jesus, this is what happens as you and I grasp the fact that Jesus is alive. There are times in our Christian lives where we do things out of duty, where we do things because it is the right thing to do, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, and that's going to happen in all of our lives. But my prayer is this morning that you and I get a fresh glimpse, a fresh grasp, a fresh wow, that the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us on Calvary's cross, that he rose from the dead and that he is alive. In his resurrection, that he has declared once for all that the sacrifice for sin has been made, it is finished, and that you and I are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, that we now have a risen Savior who is on high in heaven. And as we grasp that, the energy comes. Instead of plodding our way to church, instead of doing the next right thing that we should do as Christians, we find that an energy comes and we start to run. We start to go. There starts to be fire in our eyes. There starts to be light. This comes as we grasp that we serve a risen Savior. She runs, and she finds Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John. So we got three of them already here, right in the first verses. We've got Mary Magdalene, we've got Simon Peter, and we've got the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. She says, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. I love the wording here. She's looking for the body. When you use words like where they have put him, it's like you're talking about a thing. You're not talking about a living person. Ishi would not come to one of you at church today and say, where have you put Andrew? It wouldn't, it just, the wording wouldn't be exactly right, right? It's, but you see the problem. She was thinking of a body. So she was thinking, even though the stone had been rolled away, she still hadn't grasped this. She's thinking, where's the body? Where, where is this dead Jesus? Peter and the other disciple, they start out for the tomb. They were both running, and I love this because John is the one recording it. Okay, If Peter was the one recording this, we wouldn't have this detail. right? But because John's recording it, he says, by the way, I won. Okay? Just saying. So Peter sa or John says, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped down, looked in, saw the linen wrappings there, but he didn't go in. We see something of John's personality there. Some of us are like that. By the way, I was up this morning. We're one of the special people with no electricity, so it's super dark. When I was up very early this morning, I went outside, and it was, like, really dark. Now I pictured that I was on my way to a graveyard. That would be a little bit whatever. Now I'm going to go into a tomb in the graveyard. Think about that. 
But that's what was happening here this morning. They get there. John, with, which seems to be more hesitant, more observant in his personality, he just is looking. He didn't go in. Simon Peter arrives. He's huffing and puffing. He's late. He's not really a runner. But Simon Peter has no, like, never the guy to wait. Never the guy to think first. No. Peter gets there, and boom, he's right in. Just goes right in. So you see something of, of Peter's personality there. He also notices the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. So after John sees Peter go in, then John follows him in. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. There's a fascinating thing here. The disciples had been told many times by Jesus himself that he would rise from the dead, that he needed to die, that he needed to suffer, and that he would rise from the dead. But they didn't yet have the Holy Spirit working in them to actually help them to understand. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I that know and follow Jesus, we can't take any credit ourselves for understanding and believing the gospel. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us that has taught us, that has opened our eyes to see and to understand. These folks were literally some of Jesus' disciples, they'd been, some of, and the leaders, some of the inner three, Peter and John, been with Jesus for three years heard his teaching, they're there at the sepulcher, the tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away, they're just starting to get it. Right? Just, just think about that. Some of us are slow to learn, but we all need the Holy Spirit in order to show us and to teach us. Now, they've seen this, Peter and John, these are two of the bigwigs in the early church. Okay? And they're two of the three inner circle of Jesus. They see all this, and verse 10 is very remarkable. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. Then they went home. Done. Contrast that. We've got the setting now. We've got all this. We've got the lay of the land. We've got the characters all introduced except Thomas. Then they, Peter and John, go home. Mary... Verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked inside. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and one at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Hear the wording again? They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have put him. She's still picturing that she's going to find a body. She turns to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Of course she wouldn't. She was looking for a body. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? 
She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Do you hear all that? I will go and get him. Again, that same thought coming through there. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now we're starting to see how Jesus, the risen Christ, interacts with each of these four characters. Mary is the first one. You see his tender heart. You see that he knows her, and he knows her by name. He knows her by name. Brothers and sisters, God knows you by name. He always says your name right. You and I are in a multicultural church. Some of us are more gifted in hearing names and getting them right than others. I am horrible at it. But Jesus knows your name. And just as he says to Mary, Mary, so he says to you. He calls you by name, and he knows your name. He knows your fears. He knows your history. He knows your story. He knows where you're grasping still, where you're trying to understand, but you can't quite get it yet. He knows all that. He understands. He is on this journey with you. He says to Mary one word, Mary. And then he says these most amazing words. They are the climax of the Gospel of John. He says... Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. All the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches about the Father, but he talks about the Father. He talks about my Father. The, what we know of as the Lord's Prayer, where it starts off, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's actually not in John's Gospel. As the writer of John records, he is referring to the Father, my Father, until he gets to this declaration here, given to Mary Magdalene. And he now says, as a resurrected Christ, he tells us, he is now, my Father is now your Father. My God is now your God. That's an awesome thing, brothers and sisters. Amen. If there are some here today that there probably are who are skeptical of this, stay tuned. We're going to get to Thomas in a minute. Mary Magdalene found the disciples, verse 18, and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. 
Suddenly Jesus was standing there amongst them. Peace be with you, he said, and as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Do you hear it twice there? I have seen the Lord. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Mary's testimony was deep, and it is the most effective way to witness. Brothers and sisters, you want to know how to share your faith? Look at Mary. What does she say? I've seen the Lord. What, are they, what does it say? They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And we'll see how they witnessed to Thomas the same way. You and I, we can chat a lot about Jesus. We can share different things. And the truths and the doctrine are very important. But at the end of the day, it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is what we enjoy and what we share. Verse 20, or sorry, verse 24. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, look what they told him. Now there was actually a physical resurrection and it actually took place here, and this is what was fulfilled of the prophets. No, they didn't say any of that. What they shared with Thomas was, we have seen the Lord. And guess what? The next week, he was there. But before that, we get Thomas's personality. He says, but he, it says, but he replied, at the, that's verse 25, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see nail wounds in his hands, put his fingers into them, and placed my hand into the wound in his side. I wonder if there's anyone here like that today. You say, ah, it's a long time ago. Ah, I'm not sure. Maybe it's made up. Maybe it's not true. I'm going to steal blatantly from a man named Timothy Keller. If you haven't ever read any of his or listened to any of him, I suggest you do. He's just an amazing preacher and teacher. But Timothy Keller tells this as a way to share with you what to do if you're in that skeptical camp. If you're going, nah, I don't think so. He suggests that you have just received a letter done on some paper, an actual letter, and it comes from a law firm, and it looks quite official. And the letter says that a distant relative of yours has died and has left you millions of dollars. Now, in these days, we all get spam. I delete tons of emails every week without even opening them. Might have deleted one from you, I'm sorry. <laughs> we get so used to it that the thing to do is to not believe and just throw it out. But if you got a letter from a law firm that looked pretty legal, and it said that a distant relative have died, has died and left you millions of dollars, would you just throw it out? Or would you maybe check it out first? My friend, that's what I challenge you with today. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ was foretold prophesied, talked about long before it happened. 
Jesus Christ came and himself declared that it would happen. He then went to Calvary's cross and died, and three days later there was an empty tomb, as he said there would be, and there are witnesses to that empty tomb of more than 500 people, most of whom were still alive when it was documented that this had all happened. So they could have refuted it. Not only that, but those that were eyewitnesses went on to spend their lives and lay down their lives, were ready to die for this message that they had been told. And if it is true that Jesus rose from the dead, then you are offered much more than a few million dollars. You are offered forgiveness of your sins. You are offered a home in heaven. You are offered a relationship with the Son of God. You are offered entrance, adoption, into the very family of God. You are offered to be co-heirs, to inherit with the Son of God everything that he inherits. That's what's in the letter, and it looks pretty legal. So I would challenge you, if you are doubting, to check it out. You don't want to miss it. Thomas, when he hears, after he said this skeptical thing, eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time Thomas was with them. The doors are locked. Suddenly, as before, Jesus is standing amongst them, he says, peace be to you. Then he says to Thomas, again, watch how Jesus knows every personality and every story. He turns to Thomas and he says to him, Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Jesus knows you through and through, brother and sister. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're going to think. He understands you better than you even understand yourself. And he meets you where you are. Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So, remember the verse we read at the beginning. The first important, the most important thing is that Christ died, he was buried, and that he was raised again from the dead the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen by so many. Let's summarize now how these four responded. So if we can go to the next slide, we will see the first one was Mary. Mary loved Jesus deeply. She looked for the body, but she found instead the risen Christ. Peter, he saw, he met Jesus personally, and he spent the rest of his life telling the message. Peter was still messing up from time to time. Peter still was Peter. But God used him in huge blessing in the early church. And guess what? For the next, I don't know, like month now, starting next week, we're going to be looking at the life of Peter and how this resurrection and all that transpired following the resurrection grew into an early church of thousands and thousands of followers. And Peter was, of course, very instrumental in that. John, he saw and believed and recorded it in the book that we are reading today. And Thomas, 
He was skeptical, but then he came to meet that risen Christ. Those are the four personalities here in the story. Now add yours in. For me, I met the risen Christ at a camp in Ohio. I was amazed to go to the website and find that that same building is still there. I can still picture when I was 16 or 17 years old, sitting on the deck outside of that camp, right there, that building in Ohio, and it was there. For many of us here, we know where it was, where we met the risen Christ. It is true we have not seen him in the flesh, but we have met him by faith. He has revealed himself to us. We have seen and we have believed. And we are blessed for having done that. Have you met this risen Christ? It changes everything. Everything. Where have you put him? For Mary becomes, I have seen the Lord. For Thomas, I will not believe, becomes my Lord and my God. Have you met him? He wants to meet you today. He knows you. He knows exactly. He knows you by name. And he calls out to you today. He is alive. He is coming again. But he wants to meet you where you are today. And for brothers and sisters, those of us that know and follow Jesus, may you and I go from this place today with a fresh sense in our hearts that he is alive, that we serve a risen Savior, that he is coming again to take us to be with him, and that one day he will rule over this world. The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. This is what is the future for us. We will reign with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that the grave could not hold him. We thank you that he rose physically from the dead, that the body was gone, that Jesus was alive, that he came and was seen by more than 500. We know that he ate with the disciples. We know that he was there with the wounds in his hands and in his side. And we know, Father, that the Lord Jesus is now back up in heaven, but he remains a man for all eternity so that, we can, so that we can know him and so that we can know you, Father. The Lord Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so, Father, we know that in the Lord Jesus you are fully revealed. We thank you. We love you, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our resurrected and glorified Savior. We worship you together, and we ask that if there is someone here in our in our midst here today, or that's listening online, and they do not yet know you, Lord Jesus, as Savior, we ask that you would meet them where they are, call them by name, and help them to understand, Lord Jesus, that you are alive. We thank you. We pray, we pray together in your precious name. Amen. He is